Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. And uh, so we just continue. I want to talk about the cost of mature faith. As you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 22, we do have the monitors and we'll be sharing some verses, but we're going to stay in Genesis 22 in your own Bible. So I want to encourage you, even with these, have your Bibles with you as we continue to step out by faith and looking at the story of Abram, Abraham. And we're going to be finishing up Abraham uh, for this session and be going into, that's probably not proper English, but we're going to be going into a study of Galatians. But for as a matter of view in Genesis, we find that God has been displaying His character and nature through the world He's created and through His interaction with those creatures, His is the human race. And we've been reading about Abraham and his journey and his faith, and we see that he's been growing in his faith in steps. Sometimes they've been hesitant, sometimes they've been backward steps, and then sometimes there have been great giant leaps of faith. But we see that he's moving from an imperfect faith to a young faith, to a growing faith, to a mature faith. And with our definition, I'd like to bring you to our monitors as you look at this next slide. And I want you to get this definition of faith because I think it's a a very good human definition. If you haven't written this down, do so. Take a picture of it. Put it on your Facebook, whatever. But here's a great definition. So when we're speaking about faith, what I'm challenging you is that faith is a bold obedience to God's Word in defiance of circumstances and consequences. It's bold obedience, and I like how it starts off by bold. It's something that's strong. It's something that's courageous. It's something in the face of whatever you may be looking at in your life, and that's what faith is. And remember, faith is important. Why? Because it tells us in Hebrews that without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And so for you and I, what the challenge is for OVBC and for this morning, as we become developers of the life or a lifelong seeker of the kingdom of God, is you and I need to grow from a young, immature faith to a mature faith. We need to grow in our boldness to God's word as we faith stronger and bigger defiance or consequences and circumstances. Now the thing about biblical obedience that we saw last week is that biblical obedience needs to be complete. It needs to be prompt, and it needs to be risky. There are some matters of obedience that you have not yet taken that you need to take today. There's some of you, God has been calling you, He's been striking your heart, and He's been drawing you to Himself, showing you that you need to repent of dead works, recognizing that there's no way to earn your way to salvation. And you're sitting here today in your sin, and you have the death penalty and God's wrath facing you today. And he's saying, hear me, commit to me. That's the bold obedience you need to do today. Completely, promptly. And it is risky. Because it will cost all that you have. Some of you are facing the matter of whether or not you should be baptized. And I've shared this before. There's no reason to pray about baptism. If you've accepted Jesus Christ today, then you are to follow the Father or to follow Christ 
in obedience in believer's baptism. So if you're here today, the first thing you should do when I ask for if there are any announcements or any praise requests, you would say, I want to be baptized. Amen? And there's some of you, the next step that you may need to take is that of membership, church membership. God has called you to be part of the family. Spiritual gifts are designed so that you can build into the local church. You say, I belong to the universal church. Well, that's fine. But you can't use your spiritual gifts to build up the universal church. It's invisible. This here is a visible expression of the invisible church. And so God has called you to be united with one another, so that's the commitment that you need to make in faith. And some of you, your call to obedience to faith may be something different. Those are just a few that I thought off of the top of my head. Those are preachers' uh, pounding grounds all the time. But what we're seeing here last week with Abraham is that biblical obedience is complete, it needs to be prompt, and it is going to be risky. It's going to be sometimes painful, but yet faith or trust in the Almighty, the God of refuge and strength, that we're to trust in Him even when our promises seem delayed. I want to share with you a familiar story. A man was walking along a narrow path, not really paying attention to his footing and to the grade and where he was going, and suddenly he slipped over the edge of a cliff. And as he fell, he grabbed a branch growing from the side of the cliff. You know this story. Realizing that he couldn't hang on for long, he called for help. He cries, is anybody out there? A voice replies, yes, I am here. He asks, who is that? The voice replies, the Lord. The man says, Lord, help me. The voice says, do you trust me? The man says, I trust you completely, Lord. He says, good, let go of the branch. The man replies, what? Let go of the very thing that's holding me on? The very thing that's keeping me from dying, that, that's keeping me from perishing? The voice, as I said, let go of the branch. The man, after a long pause, thinks and finally replies, is anybody else up there? It's an old silly story. We've heard it many times. But yet it's many times how our life seems to turn out, isn't it? Trust, faith, is many times very hard to do. Have you found that out in your life? Trusting someone... Maybe you trusted a spouse, maybe a friend, maybe a worker, maybe an employer. You've been burnt, maybe you've been burnt many times. Trust is something that's very hard to do for many of us, especially when the trust involves the unexpected, the unknown, or even the unimaginable. And today we're going to look at the story of Abraham when he faced that very same circumstance. We're going to see how Abraham's faith has grown strong over the years to the point where he, he, he hesitantly followed God to the point where he, he didn't trust God to now the point where it's very strong. And he finally receives the promise of a son. However, he's about to face the ultimate test of faith. Father, again, I ask you to come with us this morning. Help me to speak words that are edifying, opening up this, this chapter let us grasp it. Let us be able to entertain its truths. And may your Holy Spirit begin to do the work that you've ordained it to do. We may hear one message with 30 different applications. So, Father, I pray that you would just be glorified in all. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. 
You're in Genesis 22, and if you're there, it's going to be very easy to look up to the last few verses of Genesis chapter 21. Because in Genesis 21, and I'm going to have to turn there too but in a second because I wrote down the wrong passage, I think. In Genesis chapter 21, no, I think in the verse 7 verses. We're going to see a prologue where Abraham's faith is rewarded. In verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time in which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And reading that, I see a wonderful phrase. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Can you get that? Let me say, we can take our names and put it in there. Let me tell you, Dustin, the Lord will do to, to Dustin as he's promised. Now, it will not be a child in your old age. You will not bear a child, I'm sure, as Sarah did. But I'm going to tell you that God will do as he promised to do to you. You can take it and bank it. That is one promise that will never be broken. We see it in a different way in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day that he returns. The Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And I can imagine the joy, not notwithstanding the pain of poor Sarah, but the joy of Abraham and the joy of Sarah. It says that he makes me to laugh. Isaac means laughter. He laughter. He brings joy. Could you imagine it? 100 years old, 25 years, and then finally, here's the son that he was promised. Abraham responded in two ways. And by the way, this is just an introduction. But Abraham responded in two ways. The first thing he did is he named him Isaac, as God told him to in chapter 17, verse 19. He says, you shall have a son at this time next year, and you shall name him Isaac. And then he followed through by doing the other thing God told him in chapter 17, verse 12. He circumcised him. He gave him the covenant. He followed through. God did as Sarah, as he had promised, and Abraham responded with what God told him to do. In the same way, when God does to us as he has promised, when he takes us from sin, when he gives us a new life, when he restores us to himself, God says, I've done for you as I promised. We're to respond in obedience ourselves. But now I want to go to chapter 22, for that sets up the story. We finally have the child of promise, and here we come several years later. I'm not quite sure how old Abraham and, or Isaac is at this time. Some say anywhere from 10 to 15. I didn't see any uh, age markers myself in this passage. But I want to give you three lessons that we'll find in Genesis 22. And if you're taking notes, you'll see the first one there on the monitors. The first one is we need to recognize that God will test the limits of our obedience. He's going to test the limit of our faith. And we see that in verse 22 in the first eight verses. Let's read this together in the, in the scripture. He says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. 
And he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer or Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So in verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told them. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. What a stark, unimaginable request from God. To you and I, it almost seems, what in the world is going on? But from the onset, from the very first, the Bible tells us that this is a test of his faith. God is going to see how, what are the limits of Abraham's obedience. Yes, he named him Isaac. Yes, he circumcised him. But this was after God promised Now he's going to test him beforehand. A test in this case is meant to prove his faith or to put to the proof, to assay, to look at the measure of. So why did God test Abraham? To me, I would say, why is he testing him this way? After 35 years of following God, has Abraham not done enough? He left everything that he had. He left his family. He left his country. He has been running around in the desert as a no man for 35 years, still not receiving the full promises of God. Has God not asked enough of him? Why this test? Why such a drastic test? Well, very simply, it's to prove his faith, just as God does to you and I. So you too may be facing a test that seems unimaginable, unexplainable, maybe even undoable, but yet God proves those that are his. You and I must remember the difference between a test of God and the temptations which come from Satan. When the Bible says that God is testing, that test is designed by God to draw us closer to him and to strengthen our faith. So that's what God is doing here. He's trying to strengthen the faith of Abraham and draw him closer. Now, in the same way, when you and I find temptations, temptations are designed by Satan. And those temptations are designed to draw us away from God and to draw us, or to destroy our character and to draw us away from God. So when we see test here, and you may have in your King James or maybe even a new King James, I'm not sure what they may say, you may see the word God tempt. Really, the word here is is test, is better uh, translated test, because it's to prove, it's to gauge, it's the measure. And it's designed by God, not by Satan. Its purpose is to strengthen his character and draw him close to God. Now, this is a very drastic one. This is one that's very powerful. And I would say, why doesn't he not do something a little bit easier? 
Well, this is a, a place where Abraham's gotten, gotten to his life. In this case, the test of Abraham proved his faith and his trust in God. And as you know the story, he passes his test. Look at James chapter uh, in there, in, on the screen there. It says, Was Abraham not our father justified by his works when he offered up his son on Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You know, as you were singing that song, Jeff, Scandal of, was it Scandal of Grace that says something? What was that phrase, my friend, that you sung uh, in your... Thank you for the cross, my friend. And first you see that, why in the world were we calling him our friend? Why didn't we say the cross, thank you for the cross, my Savior, my Lord? But it's interesting, the fact that you sung it this week, I knew what he says here. He says, Abraham was called a friend of God. Why? Because of a sacrifice. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In other words, our works prove our faith. And so God here is testing Abraham and saying, is your faith genuine? Is it very true? Yes, you have your son, you're rejoicing, but will you follow me to the ultimate test? In other words, God is still working in Abraham's life, even at the ripe old age of 100. So you may ask, okay, that's why God is testing him. He's still proven. He's still strengthening. He's still growing his faith. But why this test? Why such an imaginable? To you and I, this would be scandalous if God asked us to do that. Why this particular difficult test? Why take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love? It says there in Genesis 22. And you look at Jesus. God is almost here putting your only son, the one whom you love. Not Isaac, your other son, not or Ishmael, your other son, not Ishmael, your, you know, your, your, your illegitimate son. No, but the one you love, your only son. Go up to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. He's not asking him to send him to the missionary field. He's not asking him to send him to make him a pastor. You need to remember what God is asking of Abraham here. Pay close attention. This is Isaac, the son of his old age. He has no mother sons to come from his lineage. This Isaac is the promised one, his heir. God had rejected Ishmael. He had rejected his servant. and says, no, I'm going to give you your only son. This is the son, Isaac. His seed will be named the offspring, the father of a multitude, Abraham means. This is the one in which many nations will come from. Abraham had waited over 25 years for Isaac to be born. And now here he is, he's take Isaac and totally dismember and then burn him. You see, the distinguishing mark of a burnt offering, we read it here in Leviticus, was that it was wholly consumed on the altar. While other animal sacrifices, only the fat portions were burned. But as we read in Leviticus, it's everything. There is nothing left. This is a total dismemberment and a total burning. How could a loving God ask Abraham to do such a terrible thing? 
in reading this portion of Scripture in their family devotions, Martin Luther's wife, Katie, in reading this, responded, I do not believe it. God would never have treated his own son like that. Martha Luther responded, but he did. For the prophet Isaiah writes concerning the Son of God that it was the will of the Lord to crush his own son and to put him to grief. See, God doesn't ask of us what he hasn't been willing and done himself. We also must keep in mind that this test was 35 years after Abraham's calling. And God tests us according to the measure of faith. And this passage gives us clues to the genuineness and the depth of his faith. For God will not call you beyond what he's able to give you. It's God who gives us a measure of faith. And here's the promise and here's the encouragement. God may not be asking you to sacrifice your son. He may not be asking you to do the most ultimate task. Why? Because you're not ready for that. In other words, God is going to test you at the point where it is ready to be elastic or ready to grow and ready to be strengthened. And we see that because in this passage it gives us the clues, as I said earlier, to the genuineness and depth of his faith. And this is why we can see why God tests him this way. As we look at Abraham's conversation with his servants in verse 5. Can you go back to that? It's not on the screen, but look in your, look in your Bible. Look at verse 5, and this is a great clue. Then Abraham said to his young men, remember he had taken several servants with him, and they, he says to them, stay with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So three things. He says, we're going to go, we're going to worship, and we're going to come back. Now, some might think that Abraham is lying or deceiving or covering up his intentions with Isaac. He's not telling them what's going to happen. Why doesn't he say, I'll come back to you? But he says, no, but I, then the boy... In other words, it's the, word, it's the word we. You see, Abraham is expressing hope here. Look at the last phrase. I and the boy will go over there, worship, and come again. He refers to both he and Isaac. We will go worship. We will go over there, and we will return. He's expressing hope, a confident expectation that they will both see them again. In other words, to the servants, we will return. And he's expressing a hope. There's a clue there. Abraham views this test as worship. And worship is preparing. And he's preparing for worship in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both them together. There's action words there. Worship is going to cause action. It's built, bound, laid, reached, and took. In the same way, today you come here this morning, and we call this our worship service. Let me ask, are you here passive, or are you here to be active? Many people come to church just to to be passive, to be spectators as the worship team sings and leads worship. The prayers happen, and you're just there quietly using you that time to daydream. The message comes, and it's time to kind of read until we start thinking or 
picking out the points where the pastor might be wrong or, or where is he going or, hey, look at what this verse may say or we may be everywhere. Worship is active. It calls you to action. So in the same way, we're to be active listeners, active worshipers, active singers, and active readers and listeners. Testing is a time of worship. Let me ask you, when God tests you, do you see that as a time of worship? When you come and something happens in your life, maybe it's the death of a loved one, maybe it's a job problems, Maybe it's problems at home, spousal, relationships. Maybe it's just difficulties. Maybe it's just the struggle with everyday sin. Do you see those times as times of worship? That's what they are. Because it's the strength in our character. And what was the second part? Draw us closer to God. Isn't that what worship is? See, Abraham sees this as a time of worship. And he prepares for worship. And what that shows is great confidence and expresses hope and expresses faith in God. And I want to challenge you this morning. When those tests come, prepare to worship during those times. It's focusing on God. It's interesting to note that it took three days to get to the mountain. That's three days. Time for doubt, time for reason, three days of arguing, pleading with God yet it isn't recorded that Abraham did anything but obey and willingly so. God will test the limit of our obedience. Let's look at number two, the second. It's there on your monitor. Mature faith requires a commitment of obedience. To get to the place of mature faith will require a full commitment of obedience. And I think that's the problem for many Christians today. We are half hearted in our commitment to obedience. We have hardly do what God's called us to do. Let's look at the verses 9 through 12. And when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Some of us have sometimes have thought of this story and pictured in some type of way in which Abraham went up there waiting and looking for God to give him a way out. It isn't how you and I, when God calls us to obedience, when God says, do this, we're looking for ways out. We're looking for that way to kind of say, well, maybe I can go over here and we kind of hesitantly kind of do what God does. You know, it's kind of like me walking into a pool. You know, you, you know my aversion to pool water, things of that nature. And I'm like, I'm like this, okay, I got to get in the water. Baptisms are always funny, especially if it's not warm. You'll see me kind of like this and, you know, we kind of make that halfway commitment, but then there gets to a point where you got to get in or you got to get out. You can't just sit there. But how many of us are like that? And I, and I watch, hopefully I'm not going to hurt myself, but we walk around life like this. And we're wondering why we're hurting and life is uncomfortable. Well, try walking like this. You're not going to get very far, but that's how we are. 
But God says, no, you've got to go full-hearted, and it's going to mean full obedience. And many times we look at the story and think, well, 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 Abraham must have been like, okay, God, I'm right here. Um, all right, I'm ready to do it, God. I'm ready to do it. This scripture doesn't give us a picture of that at all, does it, Dustin? You want to know what Abraham's intention was? You find it in verse 10. Look at verse 10. You may want to underline this. It's very clear. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to what? Prick his son? To rub it gently against him? To make a mark? What does it say? Slay, to slaughter him. Abraham was going to take that knife and plunge it with all the force he could into the chest of his son and then rip that knife all the way down to the pelvic. And isn't it burnt offerings in those times and every bit of eternal organs would have been taken out and put on top of it. The head would be dismembered, the legs would be dismembered, and then you would put the wood on there and you would burn it. What was that Abraham's intention? His intention was to slaughter his son in full obedience to what God had commanded him. How do you face the tests of God? If you're like me, you're like this. Okay, God, all right. But God calls for full obedience. Was he hesitant? No, he completely trusted God. This passage seems to say he was not hesitant. He was not uh, timid about it. No, he had full intention. He knew what he was doing. He was ready to plunge that knife deep in his only son and to burn him on that altar of stone. But yet, didn't he already tell his, his servants that we are going to go worship and return? How could Abraham have been so confident and hopeful that he and Isaac would return together? How could he go through it knowing what would happen? Physically, he had done this uh, burnt offering, this sacrifice, millions, hundreds of times. I won't say millions, that would be too much. But he had probably done it thousands of times, hundreds of times. Never, never did it result in anything else than the death and the burning of that sacrifice. What makes this one so different? Well, we see it in Hebrews chapter 11. Look up on the screen. Why? How could he be so expressful of hope? How could he have that confident expectation? Why? Because by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he received the promises, was in the act of offering up his, his own son, of whom it was said, though Isaac shall your offspring be named. But look at the next line. He considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead. You see, Abraham is exhibiting mature faith. He has a complete trust in God. When he said, offer up your only son, the son whom you love, the son in whom I given the promise to, Abraham said, you call me to do this, I will do it because it will be up to God than to make his promises sure. What was Abraham's intention? He was to slaughter his son. He was going to rip him up and take everything out, pour it on there, and then burn him up. What was his express hope of returning this in? Because he said, even after I do this, God 
will raise him from the dead. He recognized that this sacrifice would be different because it would not be final. Abraham, at 100 years old, finally has the son that he's been waiting 25 years. This is the son of his old age, the one in whom all the promises are are in. But he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead. This This obedience fully reveals the maturity of his faith. It tests the genuineness of his trust in the goodness and wisdom of God. The test has passed as God stops him by declaring, I know now that you fear, or I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son. Does this mean that God did not know what Abraham would do, whether he would obey or not? Of course not. God knew exactly what would happen. He decreed it. No, the Lord knew. But this is the point of these types of tests of our faith, why God calls us to obedience. It's not that God doesn't know what we're going to do. He doesn't know not that he doesn't know what our faith is, but the test was for Abraham's benefit and for an encouragement to all those who would hear this story, even to you and I as we read it, for that's what Hebrews says in chapter 12. Consider the cloud of witnesses. Let us continue on the race. Why does God test you? To prove and to test you and to show you who he is and to reveal himself to you and to strengthen your faith and to draw you near to him and to show you how good of a God he is. Now this obedience of slaying his son, of providing that in his intention, leads God to display more of his nature and character to Abraham. As God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing, and that's an interesting term there, seeing that you have not withheld your own son, your only son for him. That Hebrew word for seeing in verse 12 points to God's providence. It's a Hebrew word that says God sees. God sees and God knows. It points to the providence of God, which leads us to lesson number three, is that the blessings of mature faith is God's provision. God sees, God provides. The blessing of mature faith is provision. And we're going to see this in this chapter, or the rest of these verses, in three different ways. Obedience is rewarded in three ways. The first one is God blesses us by providing the things which he demands of us. Look at verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Worship continues. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God sees what you and I need, and he provides what we need, even in the midst of our trials and our testings. Matthew, in his gospel, writes that your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, speaking about food, clothing, and shelter. So when we are boldly obedient to God's word, in defiance of circumstances, consequences, God sees 
and knows and provides what you need to pass that your test in order to worship him. If God commands you to obey, God will provide all that you'll need to worship. And in the essence, that's what it is. Again, all that we do is worship. You see, Abraham was not focusing on Isaac. Isaac was not, in this case, his view of worship. God was. Abraham responded by naming the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Secondly, you'll see it there on the screen, is God blesses us by providing assurances of his promises. Look at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from the heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in the seashore, or that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Verse 18 of chapter 22. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men as he said he would do. They returned and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. The Lord responds to Abraham's faith by blessing and confirming the covenant that he had previously given him. You and I can be assured that when we step out in faith, that God will give us all that we have, and he says that he richly provides those that follow him. Thank you. And thirdly, oh, by the way, let's give a side note. Does anyone want to guess who the angel of the Lord there is? He gets a face-in-face encounter with Jesus Christ. Face-in-face encounter with Jesus Christ. That's a little bit extra. And third, God blesses us by providing for our future needs. Obedience is rewarded when God blesses us by providing our future needs. Look at verse chapter 22. Look at verses 20 to 24. At first, that looks like it's a little, you know, it's just a, a, a throwaway. But look, it says, Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, and Kemuel, the father of Abram. By the way, you may want to underline Kemuel, because that's what Kem Anderson's name was, was Kemuel. Only time it shows in Scripture, but that's who he was named after, Mr. Kim Anderson. Chez, uh, Hazel, Pildash, Jildab, and Bethuel. Now, most of us think that those verses are in there to humble us because we cannot pronounce the Hebrew correctly. However, in verse 23, it shares with us that Bethuel fathered Rebekah, in parentheses. These eight, Milcah, bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ramu, bore Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Mekah. What that tells us is there's a future need that's going to happen. Because Isaac, one day, for that seed to continue, is going to need a wife to bear him children. And in that portion of Scripture, in those parentheses, It's just sharing with us, oh, and by the way, in a land, land far away, far from what's going on here, God is not only providing for the life of Isaac, but he's also providing a future bride for him in his back homeland. And we'll get to that next summer as we look at Isaac, as him and Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca, come to marry and have twins. But that's the great thing here. 
is God not only provides what you need now, but God is already in the business of providing what you will need in the future. Now here's where I want to get to the challenge and response. This is a familiar story. And for many of us, we read it and we say, okay, I know what the pastor's going to say because this is, a, this is a big children's story. This is just, you see it all the time. I mean, TBS even did a, a thing on this. So, you know, I mean, we already know what's going to happen. But if anything, I want you to grasp the spiritual truth that's found here in this story. Maybe even if it's for the very first time. For you and I will also face different types of situations circumstances that will test the genuineness of our faith. And I believe that's where many of you are today. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, and this is on the monitors. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be what? Say it out. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is God's plan for you, to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing in your faith. But yet, you and I stand here many times feeling anything but perfect and complete, lacking in anything. Anyone want to say amen? That's me today. All right. Okay, so now we're all being honest. That's where I am. That's where you are. And so that's where God's word comes to us in a powerful way this morning. This morning, through everything that we've done in the service, the gospel has been presented. The last part of the gospel is faith man's response to what God has done. And God's call to us is to, or is, is to walk in faith or to initiate our faith. Now, faith, by the way, is a gift from God. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us. That faith is something that God gives us. There's nothing within ourselves that can conjure up this type of faith. Even the faith of imperfect faith. As believers, you and I need to expect these tests as God proves and tests our faith. It's easy to stand up and say, oh, I, I accept Christ as Savior. As we spoke earlier several weeks ago during the Harvest Crusade, three to 5,000 people stood up and said, I accept Christ. And that number is, is great. That's how much got saved at the day of Pentecost. Now, those people turned the world upside down. And as Jeff asked the question, will they turn, will they turn Orange County upside down? I dare say, do we have 30,000, 300,000 out of 3 million people in Orange County? Can we say we have 10%? of true committed Christians? Let's say that's so. Probably 90, 95% of them would actually, well, maybe Orange County might be lower. But we'd have high percentage say they're Christians anyway, right? But there must be a winnowing process. That's what God does. For everyone who declares I'm a Christian is not a Christian, is are they? The Bible says there will be many who will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say what? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so you and I are being tested. A.W. Tozer, he is a famous pastor of the turn of the century, writes that faith enables our spiritual sense to function. It makes us alive. 
It is God's desire that in these times of testing, that you and I will taste and see that God is good. That's where it talks about He will fulfill our hunger and He'll, and he'll quench our thirst. It's also during those times of testing and trials that we will discover who truly is a Christian and who is not. As Scripture promises and warns that when Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. That's a promise and a warning. There's a promise that God says, if you are my sheep, you will hear. But there's a warning there. For many are following Christ, but they have never heard his voice. The Father has never drawn them to him. Many claim to be Christ followers, but their faith is non-existent. All they're looking is to get out of hell. Or they just want heaven. Everybody wants heaven. I don't even care if Jesus is there. I mean, who doesn't want good things? Who doesn't want everything taken care of? Who doesn't want a good fishing hole, a good bowling alley? Pristine golf courses. That's what heaven is to many people. It's just light. It's nirvana. It's paradise. Unfortunately, Tozer continues with this. And listen to this. This is important. I want you to hear this. Because I'm afraid that some here may be described. He says, for some Christians, God is no more real than he is to non-Christians. Let me say it again. God is no more real than he is to non-Christians as they go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. In other words, really, you have a lot of people who are in love with love. You know people like that. They never can make a commitment. No relationship ever lasts. Because really what they're infatuated with, really what they're in love is with the feeling of love, and the feeling of relationship. But when it gets tough, when it gets difficult, they bail. Why? Because there's no true commitment. That's what a lot of people are. I love this book. I love Jesus. They just hate the church. Why? Because Jesus is good. Jesus is everything pure. But man, the church is tough, dirty, hard work. I don't want anything part of that. The test of genuineness is whether or not you truly obey God's word. And that's the purpose and the testing of our faith. To differentiate between those who are truly Christ's followers and those who are not. The purpose is to, to prove us, to give us muscle, to work out our faith. As Abraham it was said, that faith was active and it works. It proves it. It justified. It showed that it was true. You may ask, will God order this type of testing for you? Will he say, sacrifice your son? Are you taking notes? Because I'm going to give you two words. You bet. God is going to ask you to slaughter him. Him or her. He's going to ask you to slaughter the very thing that you hold dear. And just bring your attention one last time to the monitor. Because here's the important spiritual truth I want to leave with you this morning. Faith will require you to sacrifice the object of your affection. 
faith, God will require you to sacrifice the object of your affection. Just as Abraham was tested with his most precious possession, his only son Isaac, so shall God test you. Here's the cost of faith and obedience is everything that you have. That could be your family, your spouse, your children. It could be your job, your career. It could be your retirement, your pension, your home, your possessions, your entertainment, your pleasures. Whatever you worship, God will say, slay it, slaughter it, kill it, make it dead. Why? Because God sees and knows and provides what you truly need. And that's to strengthen your character and to draw you to him. That's the truth of Abraham. God required him to sacrifice the object of his affection. In reality, what was really the test, if we were to shake it down, was do you love Isaac or do you love me? Who do you love more? So let me ask you today, what do you love more than God? That's the very thing that God will ask you to slaughter. The poet William Cowper writes this, The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Bold obedience to God's word and defiance of circumstances and consequences. That's mature faith. God calls each of us to grow in our measure of faith. Father, I pray that you do so. This can be a very tough, tough message. For Father, there are many things, so I pray this morning that you would show us very clearly what we're to slaughter. Lord, what is it that we're to sacrifice? Lord, help us to count the cost and see that it's worth it. Lord, I pray that you would work in each and other heart, tackle them in the area that they need, and may we respond in obedience. I pray this in the name of your Son, who not only gave us life and exhibited that for us, but was obedient to the point of death. We thank you and we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.